safe to say this top line is the best in the league? You can you can have a humble brag. It's okay. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Tear for game land of Skog, everyone. And the breakaway! McKinnon! Pure guts! <laughs> they got nothing but guts! Two pancreases. Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass. And look at the patient. My goodness. Guts all over the place. I can't believe it. And after 22 years. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for October 29th, 2018. It's been a packed week in Colorado Avalanche hockey, and so we have a packed show to get to. But before we do, everyone say hello to the other disembodied voices of the week. First off, as always, is Earl. Hey, Earl. Hello, friends. We're joined as always by Tanya Nixon. How are you, Jackie? Hello. I did not quit because Ottawa lost. Okay. <laughs> and did you say that last week or something, maybe? Yeah. Okay. Yes. I didn't remember this. And then also, hello to Rudo. Really thought I was going to get the prediction right this time. But alas, not so much. It's hard to believe that this was this week, but the Avs finished off the road trip on Monday in Philadelphia with a 4-1 win over the Flyers. Miko Rantanen scored twice. Matt Nieto and Gabe Landeskog both chipped in a goal themselves. And Simeon Varlamov was excellent. He made 37 saves, stopped 7 on the penalty kill out of 7. And this was a long time ago, you guys. I don't remember much about it. Do you? No, I don't either. I remember Miko being good. Yeah, I think that was like... They were still on the streak then of points, the MGM line that is. So they kind of just kept doing that. And the Flyers just kind of didn't show up. Yeah, when we we played Philadelphia early in the season, we kind of looked at each other and said, hey, are the Flyers good? And this time, instead, we looked at each other and said, are the Flyers bad? So Their goaltending definitely is. (laughs) Yeah, their goaltending is a mess. They're they're a little tank and... Pickard is their goaltending pair, and we've seen both. I think they'll start playing better eventually. They have a lot of talent on that team, but it it was pretty good for the Avs to beat the same team twice within a couple weeks. I thought going there on the road so soon after kind of set up a little bit of a trap, but it was nice to see they took care of business. Yeah, and I think it was a good test for, you know, once again for the top line, just because the, you know, despite their other difficulties, the Flyers still do have a a very good top line. Definitely do. So then on Wednesday, the Avalanche came back to Denver and played the Tampa Bay Lightning really well, Uh, but ultimately they weren't able to get anything past Andre Vasilevsky legally and fall one to nothing. The Lightning had 24 shots. And I'll remind you that team put up more than that against Chicago in one period a few days prior. So it was a super frustrating night, but it it looked like two good teams going at each other to me. And the Colorado play, despite the result, Colorado played them very well. Assuming, of course, y'all didn't see it differently. Um, No, I I thought it was crazy just because I watched that game against, uh, or Tampa's game against Chicago. And I, I forget the exact numbers, but I think the Avs limited them to maybe six more shot attempts than Tampa had in the second period alone against Chicago. Um, so that, 
you know, that kind of speaks volumes about where the Avs defense is relative to Chicago's, which obviously isn't that great, but, um, you know, that, that could have been us a couple of years ago. Easy. Would have been us. Yeah. For me, that game's kind of hard to compare to the others because I was at the Tampa game and just watched the others on TV. So it kind of gives you a different perspective. I felt like it, it's easier to see the mistakes when you go live. So to me, I felt like Tampa came out super slow. Like they weren't making passes. They weren't shooting. I didn't think they were skating all that hard. And they had two days off after their Chicago game. So I think they were a little bit lethargic. And someone said that they came to Denver early. So it could have been a little Denver flu there. But um, I thought Tampa picked, picked it up as the game went on. And then obviously just the difference in that game was the power play goal. But I do agree that it was a good match for the Avs against a good team. And to see that they were obviously successful defensively as well, even if Tampa maybe helped them out a little bit, at least in the beginning, but it, it was a good good game all around. Yeah, I think I definitely fall in the middle uh, between you guys. I don't. I, I would say Tampa had their B game, probably, um, but the Avs played them very well, and even a B-grade Tampa team beats a lot of teams. So I, I was happy with that, and, and you could see that the, the next steps for the Avs to take here... Um, Tampa, what really impressed me with them is all of their stick work. Anytime they got into a puck battle, like they immediately had their stick on the opponent's stick and lifted it or boxed them out or whatever. And the Avs just haven't quite clicked those little things into place. And when you're not doing all of those little things better than the other team, then guess what? You don't get the bounces. And that's kind of how that game went. I, I just guess a little bit of that and a little bit of uh, Vasilevsky being an incredible goaltender. Yeah, he sure was. What impressed me was that uh, the first period was probably how the Avs wanted to play. And I, I think I think during the intermission, Tampa kind of looked at each other and said, we're, we're not going to win playing like this. And they made some good adjustments and kind of uh, kind of slowed things down a little bit for the second and third period. <laughs> and uh, I forget where I saw the inter- interview, but but Steven Stamkos basically said that's that's exactly what happened. So what kind of adjustments did you see? I don't know exactly how they did it. it, it I mean, it, it it was mainly clogging up the neutral zone. Um, you know, just slowing the, the game down that way. Um, I don't think they did anything differently in the defensive zone just because I think once the Avs did get in the, the, the offensive zone, their offensive zone, um, they were able to generate chances and just not get anything past the goalie. But it just seemed like the the shot rate slowed way down after the first period, and and you could see sort of it wasn't a trap or, or anything like that. But they just uh, contested the both blue lines a lot better than they did in the first. And it was kind of a lesson of the next step the Avs need to take. In that, a good team on the road maybe doesn't have their A game is able to still just get a goal, you know, timely goal when they need it, and then lock it down. Yeah, I can't. I don't think they were. You know, I, I think they would have liked to score a lot more and, and would have been much happier that way. But you know, I, I think that's a testament to how good Varley and Varley played, and the the defense was able to at least slow them down a little bit. 
I so. think they got a little help, especially in that second period. Tampa was shooting high and wide at like Avalanche Matt Duchesne levels. So <laughs> there were a, there were a lot of shots where I did feel like it was <laughs> it's like they they weren't even close, especially from the great shooters they have. Of course, the Avs pressuring them and things like that will do that, but I just I did feel like a lot of their wounds were more self inflicted. Yeah, in, in the first period alone, um, Tampa did have 14 shots, and only four of them were actually on goal. So that that definitely does matter. Half of them got blocked, but that def- if they're missing wide and high a lot, that definitely does matter. But at the same time, you got a, a, a defense that's kind of forcing some of those things as well. So Yeah, I mean, you know, if Tyson Jost keeps his skate three inches lower, that's an entirely <laughs> different game too, so... <laughs> Right, like, <laughs> technically it was a 1-1 game, right? So <laughs> We've got to fix that rule. It's so bad. It is. It's it's just absurd that it's not the plane of the blue line. Like, that's 101. <laughs> Especially, like, I know we you can't give that much, like, open thought to the refs because that's not allowed or whatever, but if the dude doesn't even have any involvement in the play, I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah you want to... Increase scoring, but yet that's not considered a goal. It, it just seems very counterproductive. Right. If you're going to take five minutes to look back at it, you should be able to make a subjective judgment whether the guy actually influenced the play. So, you know, if you're going to make it dumb, make it really dumb. That would be really dumb. I'm I'm pretty much against any, any subjective judgment whatsoever because that just leaves people angry and results in decisions being made that nobody agrees with. It, it has to be a very clear cut and the most clear cut way to do it is was part of your body still behind the line or not end of yeah they called it right and i agree if you leave things open to interpretation then you open the door for all kinds of things like betting bias etc so I mean, the the easiest fix here is just to to not worry about whether the skate's on the ice or not. I can't imagine what the impetus behind that being in the rule is. I I understand wanting to hold your skate on the ice live because then you're you know clearly displaying look ref I'm not offside. Um, but when it comes to actual time for video review, come on. Yeah. And I th- I think the offside rules should just be changed to I don't know exactly to what, but it's just. I'm not saying I don't want offside at all, but things like yeah. that that have nothing to do with the play. Why, why is that offside? Yeah, I've I've more and more come around to the three line pass rule as time has gone on. To be honest, what's that exactly? You just can't make a three line pass. You can't pass it from your zone to their zone with a guy in the zone, obviously. But if like once you get to the neutral zone, then there is no offensive offsides, and it's on the defense to play defense especially in the entering part like i understand the offside as far as if the puck comes out of the offensive zone then then you need yeah. everybody to get out yeah, and come back in like there's fine, no problem right. with that but yeah as far as like entering and being able to pass and go through the blue line it they need to fix that might be that. confusing to some people yeah I, I can see how that would get hard too i mean it's a tough situation but the rule, even as it stands, could definitely be written better. Yeah. 
I think they have the technology. I mean, they could put uh, lasers on the blue line boards or something like that. Figure out if somebody was actually, you know, breaking the plane still or whatever. I mean, you you, you can figure this out easily to to make it not such that you have to be, you know, in contact with the ice. Yeah, someone is going to be in the let... way blocking a laser, but when it comes, the camera on the blue line is like the final, like that. That's the solution right there. That, that's what you need. So you could put it, one overhead easily enough too. I mean, it's you, you know, don't a million even need ways that. Here's what it comes down to: if you can't tell from a from a camera angle on the blue line whether someone was on side <laughs> or not because it's obstructed by someone else, it's probably too close to actually matter. Yeah. Yep. Or or somebody can be in cross in the zone before the puck as long as they're not the first person to then touch the puck. You Something know, like that, it, where it's, it's obvious they're not part of the play, or, they, or they're not the next person to touch the puck. So, like, McKinnon to Landy's fine. So just as long as you don't give the puck to the guy that was in. Did they... I guess I've early. been waiting for this, but they probably just nixed it, right? Because they used to let people sometimes enter the zone skating backwards, and just, allow, like, let it happen. Uh, so what if they did that, and then someone challenged, like... yeah. I think that is something like you can enter the zone ahead of the puck if you have the puck. Yeah, yeah I don't know. It's There's just... <laughs> like, they need to simplify the rule to get rid of all the weird caveats that there are. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> it they, is, it's... The second the puck is off your stick, then they call you for it. And I still don't even fully understand the the offside rule i really don't so for if they want to get casual fans to to start paying more attention that that's one that's that's tough to get across it's just it what this rule does to fans is it trolls them <laughs> i i cannot be more clear on this what you're what you've done is you you've looked at the at the tape You've slowed it down frame by frame said, ah, ah, his foot was off the ice two frames before the puck went in the zone. Come on. Well, it also used to be, like, offside used to be the way it is now, and then they changed it such that the refs always blew it dead immediately upon an offside um, situation occurring. So, like, you couldn't tag up or anything like that. Yeah. And then they went back to tagging up and, you know, because it's like the offside, there was like a million whistles, and it was just yeah. chilling the game. Um, so you know they they do mess with the offside rule plenty. So I mean you know they they could make it such that you don't have to be in contact with the ice. That would also let people cheat a little bit more because it's a lot easier to like hold your foot back than it is to hold it back and down. As long as you don't donkey kick somebody, then then you got a problem. Does your stick count? Because that would be cool. You could, you could be like six feet offside and yeah, your stick yeah. was still on the other side, you know? That'd be kind of cool. Does your Rantan stick count just, now? <laughs> Rantanen just lies down and is like his stick is in the goal. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think your stick counts now. It has to be a body part. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, you know, you, you could gain an advantage if you decided to write the rule like that. <laughs> yeah, well, there's... I think the overall point here is there's a lot of different ways that you could do over do offsides better, and there's all I mean obviously there's a lot of ways you could do it worse too. The league have been slowly improving it over time, and there's just there's a little bit more improvement around the margins that we could 
easily come up with to make this work out better. Because what, what it, all it does right now is piss people off. Um, so let's, uh, let's keep trucking forward then. Um, on Friday, we finally got the return of Matt Duchesne out of the way. And honestly, if you're an Avalanche fan who still digs Duchesne, this went just about perfectly. Avs win 6-3 after allowing their old pal to score a pair. They outshot the Sens 37-24, got their first goal from a defender from Sam Girard, and after Duchesne scored to make it 3-1... Okay, look, so... I, for one, never really felt like this game was in doubt. Even at 3-1, Colorado were doing fine, and Ottawa were trying to do the same thing that Tampa did and clog down the neutral zone, except they're not good enough to actually pull that off. But Colorado turned on the afterburners after that, and they got five unanswered goals from five different skaters. Miko Rantanen and Carl Soderberg on power plays, Landis Gog, Nathan McKinnon, Nieto, even though McKinnon did all the work on that one. This game owned. And, no, Grubauer's save percentage wasn't much to be a fan of that night, but it's hard to fault him for any of the goals at all. Boy. Um, I definitely was a little concerned after yeah. the 3-1 goal. So I was mean, I. Yeah. It, like, it's, it would be such an Avs thing to give up two goals to Deshane and then just disappear and lose the game. And they almost uh, gave him a hat trick. He was close. No, I, on, honestly, though, I think that hat trick thing was perfect. The most Matt Duchesne thing ever <laughs> to come back to Colorado and score two goals and have an easy hat trick and shoot it high and wide. And then the abs go on to win. Like, And it was really high and wide, too. It wasn't close. <laughs> it was not close. He just about shot it into the netting, I think. Yeah. Like the, the bad netting, not the good too. netting. But... And I... At least in the in the burgundy rainbow circles, I think I'm definitely one of the people who likes Matt Duchesne more. Um, so I was a little disappointed that they didn't give him more of a tribute. Uh, but yeah, I, you said it well. Even though I was a little concerned in the second period, there at the end of the game, it was it was pretty much ideal. Yeah, it was pretty pretty funny that he scored right after his tribute. That was just. Yeah, I I don't know. I was a little worried just because of things like that. It's just like, oh no, this is this is not going to happen, is it? Yeah, the Avs were clearly the better team, and it was nice to see them just keep kind of grinding away at it. Where it wasn't going to come easy, but just it, they kept working at it, and they finally were able to assert their game on Ottawa because they do have a little bit of the younger, faster thing going on where. They're not going to be able to match up with talent, but if they keep playing those young guys, they're not going to be completely terrible either. Yeah, I mean, the, a couple things impressed me. Like, I I didn't like Grubauer's game. Like, you can point to each goal and say, like, eh, you know, he didn't have the greatest shot at that. Um, but the defense really locked it down after the third goal. I think they only had 10 shots after that, Ottawa did. So the defense did their job, and you know, while they were doing that, the team was scoring five unanswered goals. So it um, was. I mean, yeah, on on the game, it was pretty pretty interesting to watch a team go full avalanche turtle. Yeah, I mean, like I've seen teams turtle before, but it's it's a pretty rare occurrence that we see a team turtle more than the mid tens abs did. So. <laughs> Or, or this year's abs. <laughs> it's actually. It ha I don't think it's been as bad this year. There were there was maybe one game where they really badly turtled, but yeah, they, the they've been doing turtle. a little better. 
like Calgary. I don't know. There have been a couple that have been pretty heinous for me. Um, I don't know that I want to call but... that Calgary game a turtle so much as they just suddenly sucked. Yeah, that was something else, yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, I call anything where you get out shot 30 to 3 over 20 minutes is a turtle for me, whether you're winning or not. But anyway. Uh, I, um, that wasn't a turtle. That was just like a complete disconnect (laughs) turtles like the wah era the whole third period just collapse and block shots and five man look like you're on a 30 yeah exactly and in this game ottawa definitely tried to do that when they were up 2-0 and and when they were up 3-1 but after that that was to me that was less turtle and more just getting absolutely caved in by the avalanche yeah the abs do what what Bedner loves, and he said in his presser, and what I call turbo mode, is where they're able to play just this insane pace. And I don't think they can play that way for a whole game or all the time. No, no one could. But, <laughs> which was kind of like the Columbus game where they started the game like that, and then they couldn't sustain it, and then it was like, well, why not? But I think it's good that they show they have that in their back pocket and they can play that way when needed it's just a matter of them being able to control it yeah that was total team canada versus bulgaria style i mean they were just killing it i did kind of want to get back to the goaltenders a little bit one because if i'm craig anderson i'm shook after that game (laughs) yeah um but two on that on more abs related i I keep telling myself I'm going to get used to the way Grooby moves in net. And every time I watch him, I'm like, that is just not pretty. And he usually manages to make the save, but it is it is stark contrast to Varley. Yeah. I, I still feel like he's been solid, but Varley easily is still the number one at this point. Yeah. yeah like in a playoff series, I'd be playing Varley... And probably every game. For sure. And I don't disagree with what Earl said at the, at the top of this segment, which is that... Um, I'll just say it differently. Because no, none of those none of those goals that Ottawa scored were like on Grubauer. But all three of them taken together, you would really like your goaltender to make a save. Yeah, like one save out of those three would have been real nice. It's like when Varley starts to struggle, it's always breakaways that we have this conversation. Like, yeah, it's a breakaway. Those are 50-50 anyway. Okay, well, you got scored on on four breakaways. You've got to keep your team in the game at some point. Yeah. I will say in the Ottawa game, though, Gruby kept a minute, obviously, because he didn't he didn't give up, like, the fourth one. So... Well, again, the, the, defense only, the, the defense only <laughs> let it let 10 shots hit the net after that. So we, we need to have the talk about the Avalanche's post luck at some point, too, because it's been really good. You're counting it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like really, really good. It's it's, it's, it's the pain close. train is coming soon. <laughs> like maybe that has something to do with why the goaltenders are like a 950 save percentage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's yeah. definitely true we, we can definitely have that conversation just maybe hold it in your head for a minute yeah yeah so this game was a party after obviously after we got kind of the early game disconnect out of the way like obviously the avalanche were the better team they they struggled early they couldn't quite get their passes together they were putting it in skates a lot they were missing like swinging and missing shots a lot like just not even missed shots just full-on whiffs 
but I really feel like they were in control of that game from start to finish. Yeah, I, that was the uh, the first game where they really, really started to shaking shake up the depth line. So you can forgive some of the sloppiness because you're not going to quite have the chemistry that they had before. But that first period was it was it got a little wild. <laughs> yeah, I guess it, we should mention in the that Tyson Jost was hurt in the second period. Uh, it's a head injury, and <clears throat> he hasn't been back since. Um, Kerfoot got benched and got sort of a a nasty gram in, in Coach Bednar's pro, post-game presser um, for his, you know, and, and people are saying he never shoots, and he's shooting at least twice as much as he did last year. So the, it's like that's not the problem. But his the, pass back into the slot that ended up being a breakaway that EJ had to take a penalty on. That pissed the coach off. And that's uh, why he got benched. The problem that I'm quickly learning now that Kerfoot is shooting is that dude's release isn't good. <laughs> right. That's why he doesn't shoot. Uh, over the yeah. course of this week, there were like four or five times where he had a puck and it was like 1,001, 1,002, and then he shot it. And it's like, yeah. that's not, that you're not beating anybody in the NHL with that. I, I wrote about this earlier in the week, but I just, you know, I think he's going to find a happy medium. Like, I think he's shooting maybe a little bit too much now, or maybe maybe he needs to work on a shot selection uh, a little bit. But I, I think he's going to find a happy medium where he does shoot enough so that the, the opponents have to respect it, uh, but he can still choose to make a good pass. And, and I, I think there's some passes he's passing up right now that he probably should make. And, and it just there's a little bit too much pressure on him to to shoot instead. I think, but, the bigger problem know, is I think the that'll work out after 20, 30 games. I think he's trying to force passes that aren't there. I think that's the bigger problem. Well, I mean, he's always done that, and I that's I think that's obviously something that they don't you know they're they're trying to brainwash him out of. But um, some of his some of his shooting is you know it's it defies logic as well. So. Know, they, they just need to work on his overall play selection, I guess. But you don't want to take too much instinct away. His sometimes you you think that the pass isn't there, but he gets it through anyway. Yeah, you know, it's like he had a twenty two percent shooting percentage last year for a reason. I mean, it's like he did get himself into position to get some easy goals and whatnot. So. But the team in general tries to be a little too cute and try to snipe it a little too much when they're not really, really on top of their game. That That's an easy trap for them to fall into. I'd agree with that. It is. They're better when they're kind of firing and shooting as much as they can and playing like how they are in the turbo mode where they're not worried about being too pretty. Yeah. yeah. Right. They're trying to get shots, not the shot. Right. I, I think Kerfoot especially is someone who will benefit from the Avs PP figuring it out. Because uh, it, it's really, it sputtered pretty badly as this week wore on. Yeah, but, yeah. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and talk about it. Because finally on Saturday, the Avs traveled to Minnesota to face Arrested Wild, as we've all bitched about a hundred times this week. And they were very clearly the better team, but just couldn't quite get the result on the scoreboard. And ultimately started to run out of gas. Avs fall 3-2. Mark Barbario and Landis Cog, your two. 
The Wild were held under 30 shots at home by an Avalanche team playing a traveling back-to-back and their fourth game in six days. I mean, obviously the results stunk, and the officiating was infuriating at times, and the Avalanche power play went 0 for 6! But there's a lot about this game to love. Yeah, right. I. It, it's hard to fault <laughs> the Avs for anything except the power play. The, the first period was a perfect road away period, and you even, like, for a back-to-back, it was even better. Uh, the Avs set themselves up really well there, and then the power play just couldn't get them that cushion that you have to have when you're on a back-to-back. It's kind of exactly what they didn't do what Tampa did to them a couple games earlier was. If they had just made, got the lead from the power play. They even had a five on three and that's just what sunk them. But it was good. I didn't feel like they were all that tired. I mean, after they gave up the second goal, you could kind of see a little bit of a letdown and then that's where the fatigue showed, but it was a really well-played game. They dominated that game especially for how, how much they've played in the last couple weeks. It was the very tail end and after the emotional Ottawa game and they still were able to, to bring it the very next night. That was really encouraging because if they play like that, they're going to win their share of games. It's oh, yeah. just, it yeah. is frustrating that they could have won this game. I, I, I think the tiredness showed more in the offensive zone. Um, yeah, you know, we're used to the MGM line stepping on the ice and saying, we're going to the net and you try and stop us. But they just kind of sat on the perimeter and settled for a lot of shots from D-men up high and things like that in this game. And it, there just wasn't quite the, the energy level offensively to get to the dirty areas. And I, and I don't think that line's going to have it every night anyway. And, and they're going to have to live with that. Especially after they were so dominant the previous night, you know that the other team, and especially what happened with the Wild in the first game of the season, you knew that that was such a point of emphasis for them, that they had to stop that line. They weren't going to get beat by that line again. And honestly, they they put uh, Jonas Brodeen on Randon's wing, and he was absolutely up to the task all night long. Yeah, he was all over him. Um, Literally. But when it comes to specifically the power play, under no circumstances should this happen five on five, specifically on the power play. Um, I was listening to one of the BSN podcasts this week, and a friend of the show, AJ Hayfley, said something that kind of resonates here. That as you spend more and more time in the offensive zone, you're, you're, like the percentage of a high-danger chance that goes in the net developing goes down. And the, the McKinnon line is a really good picture of that. Because where do they score all their goals? It's right after a zone entry, right? It's almost yep. never after a lot of passing around. It's almost never after a lot of cycling. And that's what a power play is. So I think on the power play, you got to break those three up. I don't well, know if just... I would go there yet, but I think, I think after Bednar admitted publicly he didn't have faith in his power play unit to win the game or to tie the game, you have to use that as a as a come to Jesus moment. You have to say, if you didn't think that they were going to score as is, you have to do something different. I think the first change they should make is still Gerard. I don't think Barry is the problem, but I think before you 
put a total grenade to it, you should try that. Yeah, I, I think Barry actually is the problem. <clears throat> I well, know. then, boy, more reason. I, I don't think he is. I, I don't think he does it as well as Gerard does. But I don't think he's the problem. I think the problem is that McKinnon and Rantanen are trying to snipe it, and they're looking for pretty. And then this the setup, they just don't get those dirty rebounds. Right. I, I think it's way more a systemic problem than a personnel problem. You I, you have especially if you switch Barry with Gerard, that would give you three players that Rantanen maybe not quite there yet, but the way he's played this season. These guys are borderline elite skaters, if not elite in McKinnon's case and possibly Gerard's with the puck. And you have them set up in their umbrella and they stand around and they pass the puck. And if the other team covers the middle of the ice, then, oh, well, I guess we'll just have Barry shoot it from the point. It's for how much skill for how skilled that team is. That's way too stagnant. Yeah, they, they that's, have to get that's why I'm saying that Barry is the problem is that um, that his shot from that practically on the blue line is the default shot. And that that really should never happen. I mean, that, that should happen maybe one out of 10 shots that they take on the power play. Um, and that's why I think, you know, I, I think it's, I mean, it's nothing, it's not Barry's issue. It's the fact that, you know, he's been passed to 10 times already and he's just like, screw it. I, I'm tired of this. Yeah. And he just shoots. Yeah. It. yeah no, I, I, I don't either. blame him for taking the shot because I agree. Right. Yeah, I'm not blaming him. It's just, you know, having him there and he just, you know, he just gets tired of it and shoots. And um, I think, and I, I don't think Sam would do that. Well, I think Sam would try to move the defense more. I, I don't think the D matters that much, especially I think Bednar saw the Wilds power play and they like he went, oh, because he sees Parise grinding out with the puck down low. He sees Granlund working the half wall extremely well and the Wild get deep. The Avs stay up high way too much and they don't really encroach on the goal. And yeah, sure, you're going to give up some breakaways back the other way, but the Avs do that anyway. So you have to get down there and do the dirty work. And I think another reason why is the first unit defers to the McKinnon drop pass too much. And this is not a drop pass complaint. It's just they defer to McKinnon carrying it in the zone as the last man in. Gerard does a lot of the stretch passes to spring the first guy into the zone. Like the one he gets it to Wilson a lot, um, sometimes to Kerfoot. And that changes the kind of the, the setup and the entry because then you're getting more of a rush entry. And I think that's how the, the second unit creates a bit more sometimes as well. I don't know. They pass to Landy in the same spot that Wilson enters all the time too. I, I think it's more of what they do once they're inside the zone. But yeah. he's not, it's not a stretch pass to where Landy's the first person in. It's a completely yeah. different way that they enter and set up. I, I honestly, I, I think they should start finding the guys a thousand bucks for every shot they take above the circles. And yeah, I'm all for if that. They don't, if they don't shoot within 20 seconds, they have to come off the ice. <laughs> start cycling and start peeling off. <laughs> and Andrew Ghetto in the middle there is worse than Jost. If, if the argument is that Jost never brought much to the power play, uh, Andrew Ghetto brings even... He I just, actually disagree with that. He at least tries to I shoot disagree the with that too. Like... He's, he's not strong enough on the puck. He gets... He gets 
I mean, I think around. putting anyone in that spot is just going to end in failure, so... <laughs> yeah, I disagree with all of you, because who's in that spot doesn't matter, because they don't pass there. That was what drove me insane about watching this game, was Minnesota's power play was clicking because, like Rudo says, they were going high-low, and they were also working passes into the slot area. Colorado uses their slot area for tips and chasing garbage. And, and it's and not then, even yeah, that dude, it's, it's the guy in front of the net that does that. Right. It's basically a four-on-four, because, yeah, they don't use the guy in the middle for much of anything. Like, sometimes when the power play is going well, they use the guy in the middle to pass to, and then a quick pass somewhere else where the defense can't cover, but... Well, the thing is, is you can't use the guy in the, in the you know, in the Jost slash Andragetto spot unless the defense is moving, because if, if the defense isn't moving, that guy's covered. Yeah, and, right, exactly. And with Andragetto, I don't mind power play, I just do not like him in that spot. Which is also another function of none of us like the setup of the guy in the middle anyway, but I, I think he's even less effective than Jost. I still believe that. It, yeah, I, I don't know. The M's just need to get over the fact that their one play is hit the seam pass. Yeah, because it worked because, real well against Ottawa because right. Ottawa was like, mm, sticks in the way? Nah, not today. It, it works fine when when nobody That's sees it coming, play. but when, <laughs> when Minnesota's whole PK is clearly designed around never letting you get that pass, then you just do nothing. Yeah, yeah. the, the only way they score is Miko one-times it in, McKinnon one-times it in, or they get a tip down the middle, or Barry shoots it in clean. But th- those are their only three plays. And they're not high-percentage yeah. plays because Barry's shot from the point isn't scary. It's hard it's to get not. that seam past Taransanen. It's hard to get the deflection to happen. It's hard to get the rebound to happen. And it's really easy to sit there and go, well, pass from this point to that point to down on the half wall, all right back where it came from, back across to the other point again. Z, 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 Z. Plus, most teams now are just putting a guy on McKinnon and making it a four-on-three with the other guys, too. Well, they definitely need to cover Miko because... With his shot, if he gets a clean I, look, he'll he'll get I would that in. Mu- I would much rather leave Miko open than Mac. Hmm, maybe. I mean, they don't have to cover anyone because they just don't have to move. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. the Az- the Az power play definitely needs work, and uh, I really I I point at personnel because who you put on that first unit dictates the way they're playing. I mean, you've got. Uh, several like you've got between Barry and McKinnon and Ranson and, and X in the middle. Those are all players who are trying to make the pretty play happen. And and, and that's totally fair. If if it's the players, you know, setting that up themselves, and you're on the bench telling them they got to move, then yeah, you need to switch something. Then I just I, I look at the way the first unit plays, and I look at the way that the second unit plays, and the second unit is an absolute hodgepodge of forward and team that doesn't have any, and it works harder and generates more i i think that it's based on who's out there and what they're trying to do yeah exactly i mean it's like every time you think like you know ray bennett needs to do something you see what the the second unit does and you're like well that works and that's what it's supposed to look like so you know the guys on the first unit just aren't doing what they're told they have a lot of dead possession time which hurts the second unit's opportunities to get anything because you spent 90 seconds doing zero Exactly, and that's why I don't think they're going to switch it up because they want their best players on the ice. And they're going to put the first unit out there for at least a minute to 90 seconds. 
And I mean, they could mix it up where you have like ranted in on the second unit or something, but it's just always going to default that way where the first unit takes up almost all the power play. Unless they completely just say the second unit's going to be the first unit regardless for like a whole game or something like that. But it's just they even tried that. <laughs> they try, they try that. But then in the middle of a game, when you need a goal, it's like, you're going to put your best players on the yeah. ice. And I don't blame them. It's just, it's, you know, it's, it's not easy to have confidence in it right now. So I think just put Gerard on the first unit is the most realistic solution to see if it can get it a little bit more life and movement. It's a starting point, but I don't think it's enough. Yeah, I would put Barry and Mac on the second unit. And then who would you bump up to the first, Sam and who? Uh, I'm not sure it matters, you know? Um, I mean, put Passy with Shooty, Curve and Ranton in. That's what I'm thinking yeah. about right there. I, I mean, I, I just don't think I don't think it really matters. Like you could you could put Wilson over there and it really wouldn't matter. You could I mean, you probably move Gabe over there anyway. So and then put, you know, Carl or Wilson or somebody behind the net. But I think if you do something like that, you by default, by the way, those players operate, you move the power play action lower. As I pantomime with my hands, like y'all can see that. Um, you just, exactly. Like, like, you just move the whole umbrella a lot closer to the net and a lot farther from the blue line. So you, even if you do take a shot off a shin, it's not an instant breakaway the other way because it doesn't pop right out of the zone. It's a little bit lower. You have a chance to recover it. But that's a lot of chatter about the power play. And we've, we've all got slightly different ideas to fix it. But... The general consensus is what's happening with the first unit right now has got to change. And one time that that really, really hurt on Saturday was, you know, that time that Bednar said, you know, six on four is better than five on four. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... I'll, I'll wait because I think I'll be the middle. I think, again, Earl and TV are on, at odds at this one, so... Um, it, I, I understand what, what Bednar was saying in his press conference afterwards, that he didn't have confidence that they could score five on four. And, uh, you know, I, I think he was aware of the pitfalls of, of pulling your goalie in that situation, but it just, you know, what else are you going to do? There's, you know, three minutes left in the game. You, you really need to score there. Um, but. I don't think it's a smart play. Um, it, when you pull the when you pull your goalie on the power play, you go from like zero point eight goals per hour against to eight point seven goals per hour against. That's eleven times more likely that the team, the defensive team, is going to score a goal against you, and you only increase your chances by fifty percent. So. I just I, I don't like the numbers on it. Um, it it's I, I get what he was doing, but I think it turned out probably exactly how he thought it was going to. <laughs> I think that teams should be open, more open minded to be aggressive. I I hate the whole like oh we're at two thirty we can pull the goalie now. It, it's just and it's such a waste. And in this game, like, I understand that it was so close. It was a two-to-one game. 
you put your power play unit out. Your your best players have been playing very well. At that point, would I have thought that you know maybe they could get a, a tying goal here the regular way? I could see that, but in in general, I feel like doing things differently is gives you a better chance to win. Like the pro the problem with what happened here was that they lost the face off, which Bedner should know. They're not a great face off team and you have Landeskog out there taking the face off because he's the guy you're most comfortable winning this face off should tell you something. And, and then at that point when the other team gets the puck and then they can shoot it for the net. Yeah, that's a problem. I've always advocated that you need to have possession. If, if you're actually creating, if there's, you know, not just standing around and passing it, but things are happening, you're going to have the other team tired. And yes, they can shoot for the net, but it's going to be way more likely that they're just going to chip it up off the glass or get it cleared any way they can. And they're not going to have an open look where they can stand there and aim it after they've been penalty killing for 30 or 45 seconds. Even if they do, so, they usually yeah. miss that long shot. Right. Yes. Like, I think you're on the right track there, 100%. for sure. I'm, like, I'm in total agreement. Yeah, like, so, I'm all for it. Subscribe, pull your goalie early, pull your goalie often. I'm down. But you gotta use your head, man. It, even ignoring the Avs' terrible face-off percentage, put Varley at the blue line. You win the face-off, it takes him two seconds to go to the bench, it takes three seconds for the guy to come on and get in the play. First of all, if those five seconds cost you the game with more than two and a half minutes left, then that doesn't make any sense. And secondly, if you score a goal in those five seconds, does the six man on the ice even matter? I mean, it it just... You're taking a totally unnecessary risk to save five seconds that you don't need to save. Okay, and my second counterpoint to this goes to what exactly does the sixth man bring that you don't get with five? Put them behind the goal because they won't put anybody else there. Do it. I, I do think <laughs> the sixth man can bring something. It can help pull defenders out of position when they have to try and split the difference between two guys and things like that. Again, but these but are they things that use, they, they, they only use about three and a half guys on their power play anyway. So what does a sixth guy do? Well, I mean, they scored one, so it worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it gives you more uh, more sticks to bang in the nasty chaotic. rebounds. It, it, it's yeah, it's more chaotic. You can yeah, you attack the net more. There's robot. It does I make mean, a I, difference. I believe We've in seen. stats, and there are none on this situation. That's what that's that's what's tough for me to to buy into this situation is that it's really tough to gain statistics on whether you know how 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 utilized and and how much more the sixth guy brings than just having five out there. Doesn't the statistics say that if you pull the goaltender at 6 minutes that that's your best chance to win? Nah, that's that's only no, when I'm, you're I'm, down by 2. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like down by 2, I I I'm fully on board with pulling the goalie because it doesn't matter, but if you're down by 1, you're I mean, you're asking to have the you're asking to be down by two. Right. The problem um, is you can't, like, you have to apply the statistics. You, you, like, I know there aren't many here, but 
you have to look at the situation and go, hmm, if we don't get possession here and our goalie's in net, there's about a 0% chance that they score. If our goalie's pulled, then it's like a 50-50. These are NHLers. They can shoot a puck 200 feet. Right. You know, I mean, statistically, on a, on a, a 4v6, you're going to score 8.7 goals per hour. What it, what it comes down to is that most of the work on this, I think, isn't even strength, isn't it? Like, there's not even a whole lot going on with when is the optimal time on the power play. Right, and and that, you know, that does have the, the little niche there that they, it's not icing. Right, that's, I mean, that's why it goes up so much. Because as soon as you get the puck, you can just nemeth it, you know? <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of teams kind of just do that anyway at five on five, to be honest. But right, they do. They they say, eh, "We'll take the icing, forget it." Well, there, there. I mean, there is statistical work on like if I, I and I've seen it, but I, I don't remember the exact numbers. But it's like if it's between a minute and a minute and a half, shoot it. If it's under a minute, don't or something like that. Um, but there are formulas that that teams, I'm sure, are aware of there. Just to interrupt with some with some good news, looks like the Stars lost to Detroit today, in regulation. I know. My friend just texted me about that. He's real happy. I'm real happy. Yeah, my buddy will be happy too. <laughs> Second win of the season. Bunch of Avalanche fans with a bunch of Detroit friends. <laughs> some podcast we are. It's just a giant <laughs> meteor game, and it fell on the right side of the rink for the Avs' playoff chances. Yeah. Chicago are tied with I Edmonton, mean... by the way. Av's playoff chances are pretty good no matter what right now. <laughs> well, I was looking at the, I, I forget which betting outlet it is, but the, the Avs have, uh, they're just below Nashville for having the best chances uh, of both making the playoffs and winning the Stanley Cup. It was 70-something percent for the playoffs, but we'll get to that. Y'all are jumping the gun on me again. Sorry. Uh-oh. Um, just excited, okay, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> we still have to talk about how in this Minnesota Wild game, Nikita Zadorov took a pretty vicious slash on the thumb, and that was pretty much his game. Yeah, I mean, he did weird. come back in the third. Yeah. yeah. He played a lot in the third, even. And it was only after, it was like, it, it was weird because he didn't play the first half of the period, and then the second half he played a whole bunch. Well, it, it's it like, he, like he took... 20 minutes off and then he's like hey you know what i guess i can play coach go ahead and put me in and, like he took the slash and then he went off for a while and then he came back and then he took a hit behind the net and then he went off for even longer and then he came back and just kept going it was it was weird so Bender said that he had to keep leaving to get it taped or something to is that did they did they like slash him right on where he got cut in the fight he had is that what it is no, they, they, the, the slash was right where you don't have any padding on the inside of the wrist. Okay. If 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 what I saw was what actually you know was his malady. Well, anyway, that's what Bedner said that he had that he went back to the room a couple times to to get it taped to relieve the discomfort, is what he said. To get so. absolutely covered in freezy spray. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean the weird thing. All right, but this was over two periods because it was the middle of the second, or maybe even towards the end of the second. I think when it happened, so he had interest yeah. to work on it as well. Well, and the then it just was... sort of like eight minutes into the third period, he's like, "Okay, I'm ready." Well, the second was weird because there's so much special teams. So yeah. when 
they said he was gone in the second. I was like, uh, you know, was that just a lot of special teams? But then looking at it, like two two shifts is is too little. So obviously something happened there. But yeah. I think Barbario only had like four or five shifts in the whole second. So it's not like he missed that much. Right, yeah. And then by the third, I think they certainly needed to think about energy and things like that. And Yeah, he played 358 in the first two minutes, and he ended the game with 816. So he played more in the third than he did in the rest of the game. So Right. It's so weird. And obviously, we're not going to find out anything about whether he's okay or not, probably until, what, Tuesday? <clears throat> like, yeah. You may hear okay. something bef- on Monday before you hear the show. But the Avalanche are taking off Sunday and Monday, so we may not hear anything until Tuesday. I I feel like he'll be okay. I mean, who knows? But just the fact that he did come back and he did play a lot in the third, and it and seems played, like something he'll what, be able to 30 manage. 30 games plus the playoffs with a messed up shoulder last year? <laughs> yeah. He's tough, you know? I Never think... put your money on the Az releasing that information early. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this may have been one of those situations where Bednar talked to the trainer, gasp, and the trainer said he, he's not going to, like, he needs to, to get this injury healed, but tonight he's not going to make it worse. <laughs> We've got this extra super special spray. We only use like once or twice a year. We'll, we'll use that. It'll be fun. <laughs> it's made with nanites and adamantium. <laughs> but it, Boy. But we've we've also seen you know Tyson Jost is out with some not concussion head injury and JT Comper is out with some not concussion head injury. So there's as the Avalanche look at a couple of games on the road next week, they're looking at some open roster spots possibly. Yeah, the Jost thing yep. is weird because his last shift he kind of had a collision with Duchesne behind the net. It, it didn't even look like a hit, but I guess. Some sometimes things that don't look bad that are just awkward can be the worst. Because we were all assuming but, he'd been benched. Yeah, yeah, but then it was like, okay, this is too long, and then, um, but it could have happened earlier in the game. Who knows? Um, so I, I think we'll figure out pretty quick, like if if Joe go, gets back on the ice because. If you have a concussion and then it like clears up, then you go through like the week protocol where you step up your activity and you can pretty much play within a week. So we'll know pretty quick if he's kind of on that path or if he's more on the comfort. Just well, comfort skated path. what two days after his? Yeah, but then he's and gone. then that was then he was gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So it was like he was trying, and then yeah, that day that he skated just seems like that was no bueno. And then ever since then, he's he's got to get back to the steps, and obviously things are going well. I, so. I'll be that guy, and I, I I never wish injury on anyone, of course, but not there. There are a couple of better options for the ads, but these ones weren't that bad to be the guys to go down for injury. Well, Comfer was. I mean, he was on a sixty-plus point pace. Sure, he got but replaced by Andrew Ghetto. He, as one of the nine I mean, he he was playing on the quote-unquote fourth line, right? So, and that line I don't number killing. my lower line. Well, Joe's was getting into where he needed, like, a step back or something. Yeah. 
I, I think in Joe's case that like having some time off, whether it's injury or not, is probably a a good thing to happen. And it's obviously opened up some space for Kamenev, who's played pretty well. Um, he has. He's like the got only his... Avalanche center who can win a faceoff. Got his first point because of it. <laughs> Definitely. It's a nice play too. It was. So th- hopefully that should be enough of a of a clue to just just leave him in the lineup, like figure it out. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I you know I I said earlier this week that you know it's he's looked good and. He's he's definitely gaining the trust of of both Nolan Pratt on the PK and, and Bednar with occasional PP time, but he definitely needed to start putting up a point every once in a while. Well, it's good for the confidence too. It makes you feel like you're contributing and you're in the game and right. you can do it at that level. And yeah, it should it shouldn't be like the only validation of having him in the lineup, but it, it's certainly on the right path and. Well, it's just, I mean, it's a product of playing well. You're just going to fall ass backwards into points. Unless you're Calvert. I mean, the playing well part might be debatable there. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> even if we work under the assumption that um, Gabe Bork and Marco Dano and Matt Nieto and Matt Calvert are all going to continue playing the next couple of games, I mean, you got to think that they may want another healthy body for the trip. You would think so. <clears throat> yeah, because uh, even if Joe starts feeling better quickly, like I said, it's it's usually like a week, so that should take him off the table for this week, and and they should, they and especially since they're going on the road too, they they really should take somebody. Who they they have the room. It's, I mean, it it seems like the default will just be call up Drees to sit there in the press box. If they actually want to consider playing someone, then it could get interesting. I, I mean, I think we've talked about Greer before. I, I think for me, he should be at the top of the call-up list if you actually want to play somebody. And probably not Kout, but I'd be more comfortable with that than I was two weeks ago. I feel like Kout's been solid, too. Where if you had to play him a couple games, I think he would hold his own. I I wouldn't want to do that, but I agree same. that you know if you put him in that situation, you know it it might not hurt him a lot. <laughs> right, like I uh, I too am, still feel like saving his games for later is a better plan, but I also feel like the closer they are to a real playoff team, it's just right. You gotta get like, all you can. Kind it's of. like saving your coupons, but then you just don't use them. Like sometimes just. Yeah, if you if, and it would be a perfect time to say, look, there's two games. It's this week. You know, you're probably only going to play these two. I think it would be a nice taste for him, and then to say you're going to go back to Colorado and or the, obviously the Eagles, and you know, keep working. So it, w- it would be nice to see. I don't think they would do that, but no, it's going to be Sheldon Price, and we all know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I, I would much. expect as much, especially with Tony Nato hurts. Then, because I could have seen Tony, um, because Jost was playing center. So if you want to drop a center in, kind of. But now that he's out of the picture, then it's it's pretty much dries. It's like Kamenev's their only real project at this point. Like their young guy, their development project. 
So it, it'd be like asking them to, to develop two guys at the same time would just be, you know, a whole lot. <laughs> but then it also gets back to the question here of like, what is it going to take for Greer to come back and get a chance? Like, do, do they really need to have like five injuries? Because if this isn't a good spot for him to step in as well, it's just kind of like, when is that ever going to happen? Yeah, I Unfortunately, I think we're stuck until the 30-day mark of Dano. Yeah. Oh, they're um, keeping him. And, and they might, and if they do, I think it's going to be real tough for Greer to get back. I, you know, just, yeah. to, just to weigh in on Cal, I think it's better, just because I think probably within a month, he's probably going to start playing PK down in in Loveland. Um I know he gets a shift here or there. Everybody does, but I, you know, I, th I think he's going to start playing PK more and more over the fall. And I, I just think being able to present that to the abs uh, coaching staff would, you know, probably probably get him more minutes and be able to show off more. Right. So show I, I think it'd be nice to wait until maybe December. You it's know, a great chance for the organization to show they learned their lesson with Greer and not do the right. same thing to Cout. Exactly. I just um, think it's for Cout personally. But I, he's I think not it's a better to player. let him. I think you want him to have some time to to stay comfortable, to stay confident, and and then come up. Not like, hey, you've been good for a couple of weeks. Let's try it. Like, yeah. Yeah, I know. I understand that too. I just think it's it's a. A situation to consider anyway, but he's not a role player. They're not going to look at him like Greer, where it's like, you're only a fourth liner now. If they call him up now, they probably would play him on that line, but I'm not worried about him getting stuck into, like, if you don't PK, you don't have value here. No, but it's just, it's it's more time that he could spend on the ice during a game. I mean, Well, they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't call him up and have him on PK anyway. I think they might if it was, like, January or February. I don't think they would, but I definitely think they could be targeting him for a role like that in the future. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, I, I don't think he'd be like, all right, we're going to, you know, you're in our top four PKers, but I think, you know, in, in a game where they're ahead, kind of what they did with Kamenev when they first started using him on the PK, he got some third, um, third period shifts. But he'd so, been around a while, you know, like he'd been right, around for I'm real saying. practices and stuff like that. And that's what Cal would have to, you know, that's that's what Cal would have to do to get onto the PK. But it just, you know, if you haven't played it in Loveland, there's just not that option, really. I, I mean, I think the more interesting talk is if Zadorov is hurt, who do they call up on D? But That's a big question. I don't think they I would play anyone they called up. I think it would be Wars of Sky, and that would probably be the end of the conversation. I think it would be Graves. I think I think they're impressed with his camp. He hasn't quite held up that level for the Eagles. He hasn't he hasn't been the worst, but he's just he's he's not looked as impressive as he did in preseason. But I think the staff will remember his preseason and because he was part of a trade, I think they're gonna want to get him a look at some point. Yeah. Now, now the point about would this person play, you'd say no, like Barbario for sure would slot in unless it was a long-term injury, then then you'd have someone up and but I I think Graves is the the next in line for like a real call up rather than just like warm body. I don't know if Graves too. ever gets a real call up, 
but yeah. I, I definitely, <laughs> my gut definitely agrees with you for some reason that I think they want to sneak graves in there. Well, it's um, t- the thing is, is it, it's hard to divorce what we see on the ice with him from his partner, who is Anton Lindholm, who is not just playing well. terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, he might actually be competent, you know, if they had to use him for a game or two for six or seven minutes or something like that. But it's just, you know, it's it's so tough to make that call because of who he plays with all the time. I'd also argue Malosh, it's, it's not crazy. His peers are getting called up with the same number of experience and production, even less production, actually. So... Yeah, if they were going to play whoever it is, then fine. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd be love pen- If I thought they were legitimately going to play the guy, I'd be pounding the table for Milosh pretty hard. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, this is the time in his career where he needs a taste. Like He's not ready to come up and stay, but it's perfectly on track and acceptable that he should be getting called up right now. My take on yeah, Milosh I mean- is, meh. I will believe the Avalanche have any intention of ever playing him on the Avalanche when they do it. And I, th- I think, you know, even if, even if it's not really a situation where the, the dude's going to play, like Nick's never really spent any time with the team um, during the season. So, you know, even coming up for some practice time, even if he's just not going to play, you know, even, let's say they call him up tomorrow. And he just gets to practice, you know, a couple of practices before they go off to Western Canada, and, and you know, what? I mean, many something. They have to get back. That that wouldn't be a bad thing for him either. Well, why do you say that, Steph? Is it because he's not good enough, or just because the organization would have to go? I, I, I don't so think they're going to play whoever list. they call up. I don't know if he's good enough because these aren't games that I see. I don't watch them play. Y'all do. It's just that he's never been given any opportunity by the organization to to be with the NHL level, and the first like the next chance he gets will be his first. So I'll believe it's coming when it comes, and not a minute before. Whether that's le- whether that's justified or not, that's not that's got nothing to do with it. Yeah, I feel the same way. You know, until they do it, I you know I don't expect it. And I, that's a total fair argument. The if you watch the games, which I know pretty much very few people do, at least as intently as we do, uh, the problem is they have to decide on Malosh this year. And if the decision is that he's never going to get a chance and fine, then okay. But you have Makar coming. And if you don't know what you have with Malosh before Makar gets here, then you're never going to know. Yeah, basically, they're going to have to do it at some point. And I guess... I mean, I agree that there's. I take that stance a lot. That until I see it, I don't. I don't believe it either. It's just, I, I don't know. I guess holding some sort of faith that they have any interest in developing their own internal players would lead me to believe they have some semblance of an idea of what to do with him. Because, like, like you said, Rudo, this is the year they're going to have to call him up and see at least what he can do at the NHL level. doesn't mean he has to stick, but if they don't have an idea of where he is as an NHL player, then just trade him and get something because the time is now. And any opportunity for a call-up is going to be a good, a good reason to use, to use that time to figure it out. Because it's not going to get any better the further into the season they get. 
when things games are more critical, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and, and I get it. it. It's tough always to you want to put the best lineup you can out there every night, but you know sometimes information is more valuable. So let's. Yeah, that's why I think if he came up and practiced, I think that could do a lot for his case. Yeah, let's let's keep rolling. And you just reminded me of something I wanted to say earlier, actually. Um, when we were talking about the power play, the Avalanche have been playing so many games and traveling so much, they haven't had time to practice and work on the power play. So, for all we know, they have alternate plans that they're working on. They just haven't had a chance to actually implement them yet on the power play. I think I think a real practice will help them. Just in general, it's been too long. They haven't. They didn't have a real practice this entire week, and I think they maybe had one last week. So. Yeah, I'll, it'll be a welcome sight to see them have a real practice. So let's before we zoom out, let's do the stars and scratches real quick. Um, I want to go first because mine is not from the MGM line. I want to give my star this week to Semyon Varlamov. He deserved better. He really did. Yeah, twice. I agree with that. <clears throat> Next. Um, I'm going to give mine to Sam Gerrard. I think it, the last two games especially, he's been exceptional. I'm shocked. I know. I know. <laughs> Just mark me down for that. But he, he, he did earn it this week, though. I, I gave him the half scratch last week, and he came back with, with a very solid performance. His game in Ottawa, against Ottawa was, was fabulous. Got to respond to those Burgundy Radio scratches. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he got the first goal for a defenseman on the team. But I just, the the way he played against Ottawa for me, um, you know, that's that's what you want to see from him all the time. And I realize you're not going to play an opponent like that all the time. But it's nice to know he can do stuff like that. I thought he was pretty good against Minnesota, too. So do we want to let Mac and Gabe and Miko share the remaining star? Or do we have someone else specifically that we want to honor? Oh, yeah, I'd be fine with that. Sure. I'd put Miko ahead of the other two, though. I agree. Okay. And then what about on the itchier side? Who are we going to scratch? Oh, boy. Hey, right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to try. I'm going back and forth between. Dano and Calvert. Dano being bad isn't his uh, fault. I'll take so Dano I'll just if go you with... want Calvert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll take See, Matt I... Calvert. <laughs> yeah. Um, Calvert just... Uh, I, 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 know, I know he's switching teams and, and in a different role, but I just feel like the Avs were selling us a bill of goods with this acquisition. Because, um, you know, he, he's not Blake Como. He doesn't do the kind of things that Blake Como does. He, there are some things I enjoy watching him do on the power on the penalty kill. Um, but that's about it. He's a, he's a black hole, and he really makes making Carl productive a, a tough thing. And um, I don't know. It, it just you you can't have a guy that plays that much that never scores. It's tough to watch him on the boards, and it's it's tough to watch the lack of puck skill. And yeah. 
my issue with him is always going to be tied to the conjunction of having to play Bork and to a lesser extent Nieto. Yeah, they're they're not. It, it's such a hard question right now because those are not significantly different players from each other. And you can make the argument that a, that they may be the exact same player as AJ Greer. Like, it's not. It's really hard to pick one of them because they're all doing a lot of the same things. Yeah, it's you know it, it's a it's really bad to see that many guys that are that unproductive in the lineup. But it just you know Nieto's kind of bounced back after his hell week. So he has more that... ups and downs. Yeah, like yeah. Nieto was had legitimate bad bad games but he was real bad right the capacity but calvert is pretty much consistently the same guy that you look at and you're like he is never gonna score that's the same as bork and we give him a lot of credit for doing his job too but you look at some of his seems to be luckier though (laughs) (laughs) it's early but like the the shot metrics for Bork is just like, oh, geez, you know, it's it's just, it's bad again. Bork's also making less than a third as much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're all like, if Bork doesn't score, it doesn't bother me as much. And plus yeah. they scratched him one game this week, so at least the impetus is there to, to you know, you, you know that the coaching staff's like, we're not married to putting this guy in the lineup every night. Whereas with Calvert, you're like, you know, they're going to play him on the second line every night. Three years. it's just so frustrating to be that negative on a signing and then be have have so much support that your argument was right so quick yeah um my my scratch this week goes to alexander kerfoot who has produced pretty much nothing but turnovers this week yeah i think that's fair it's fair but mine was gonna go to jost and i know it's tough to pick on the injured guy but in that tampa game that might have been one of the the worst games from from like a skill guy that we've seen in, in quite a while. And oh, he it, had a disaster game. He he was at fault for the offside. You know, we, we talked plenty about how cheap that was. And, and it's funny, he did it again later in the game. And I and think it just didn't get called, but and, it's just like I was looking at it, I was like, he's offside there again and they might and, score and this this would just and, be the biggest disaster ever and that was the game i had the front row seat to all the mistakes and it was just it's just every play it's just every play he was involved in was would just die it's it, it was bad and then unfortunately then he gets injured right after that and it's it's just like like we said earlier it it is in a way perfect timing because he probably did need a little bit of a step back but just to also mentally deal with that too, I think is is not good because I think his issues are a bit mental and confidence related and not ability related. So I th- I think he'll work through it, but but he to get back to the point, he he I think he earned the scratch this week. It just it, it definitely started snowballing the whole week. And Edmonton yeah. takes yeah. Chicago to overtime. Of yeah. course. Why not? Yeah, I I don't know. It's it's hard for me not to... I guess you could call it the whole Dano situation, if you want to call it that. Um, but you, we bring him in, and, you know, everything we hear from the Winnipeg side is like, hey, he's a guy who might have some talent, but he just couldn't get his way up the lineup here, and he, he doesn't work in the bottom six, really. 
and the Avs go out and play him six minutes a night, and he doesn't do anything. Yeah, Shocking. and we were talking about this today in the in the Discord, and you know it, he doesn't play either of the special teams, and you know I I think you're right, Jackie, that they're going to try him on PK at some point, um, or at least that you know that they have a fixin' to. I, I don't see him being successful. I think it's going to be just like when they tried Wilson there, and it's just going to be like, nah. And, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be able to earn his way onto either the, the power play unit. So it's just, why are you here, dude? I mean, I, I, that's exactly it. It's more same, same. We already have Andrew Ghetto, and we already have Wilson. And Dano is that. Combo of those two. Right. He's the same guy. And so now we have three of that guy. We have four of the Nieto, Calvert, Bork type guys. You can't have a, a lineup, a bottom nine that is made up of two types of players. And right. see, for me, I don't hate Dano. I I th- appreciate some of the things he brings. I, I like how physical he is. I like how he is on the puck. Now, I hope he does create a little bit more with it. But in that one game, he was actually doing stuff and Jost was killing it. And then... (laughs) (laughs) He followed that game up by doing nothing against Ottawa and nothing against Minnesota, though. I know everyone looks at the on-ice Corsi 4 and he was like 12, 4, and 3 against or whatever, but he had zero individual Corsi and I, I think he maybe touched the puck like four times that whole game. He wasn't even creating for his line mates. Toot toot! I'm a passenger... He still has more individual Corsi per 60 than Miko. So he <laughs> well, has done He also plays five minutes a game. I know. <laughs> Miko's, Miko's ICF was probably 10th on the team last year, so I don't think that's a big deal. Okay, well, the Miko comparison's <laughs> like, a funny one, but let's just say compared to the other fourth liners who all have had the same minutes, the same type of minutes in the same situations, he's by far been statistically better than all of them. Like I just brought up Borg, who's still he's again riding into the thirty percent range. Nah, but you have to look at Yushins there. They start Bork in the defensive zone like ninety nine percent of the time. It so. still shouldn't be that low. No. But I'm saying Dano's still better than all of the yes. others. You know, Kamenev Oilers win. You and know etc. So I I think I- I, I, I think there's the you know, potential I get what you're for saying. him to being useful, and he's a little bit different than like the Bork type plug. The problem is, is that he's basically the same player that Greer could be. And, and yes, I completely agree with him and be on board with the entire rant of what was the whole purpose of bringing in a guy that a you already have, and b you're trying to work Kamenev into the lineup and trying to develop him into an NHL player. And then you inserted this guy that the front office is going to want to see play for no particular reason at all. But if I'm just looking at just Dano himself, I don't hate him. That's fair enough. And uh, you're right. He's fine, but he's just the new face of the abs to death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. We need to, we need yeah. to keep rolling on though. Um, because we have one more big topic to cover um and it's actually tying pretty well for our in-show knowledge because chicago just lost on one of the bigger skill mismatch goals you'll see which was Connor mcdavid on cam ward as of right this minute obviously um 
the 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 standing stuff hasn't updated yet, so it's hard for me to just like do math on in my head while I'm trying to do a show. Um, but the Avalanche sit atop the Western Conference with Nashville, who do have a game in hand at 16 points. They're tied with Pittsburgh for the best goal differential in the league. Although to be fair, the Pins have played nine games, Colorado's 12. This is where the Avalanche will finish up October. 16 points in 12 games. They're atop the division. They they probably won't stay there since it is the tie with Nashville, and Minnesota and Chicago could both potentially overtake them as the month ends. But how are you feeling now? And is it different than how you felt coming into the season? I'll, I'll say yes. I, I was one of the more um, measured in my optimism coming into the season of us. And I will say that uh, the way that they've played, some of the things that we've wanted to see, um, how like how the defense has come together, just how they're able to execute their system, their identities, their speed, the goaltending. You know, maybe the 950 is not going to last, but the tandem has been <laughs> advertised. Maybe. For the most part. Um, <laughs> seeing Gerard take another step, seeing Miko take another step. Um, I definitely will raise my optimism. And then obviously having the points in the bank right now just just gives them that cushion. It, it keeps them ahead of a lot of teams that are either mediocre right now or struggling. So I will say that this team is better than I thought they would be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before the season, I was part of the bubble out likely crowd. Right now, you couldn't pay me to say the abs are going to make the playoffs. Are going to what the playoffs? Um, gonna, uh, I, you couldn't pay me to say the abs are going to miss the playoffs right now. I still okay. think it's... Um, a- it's... A it, fair possibility. I mean, I think I they, I think it? they might end up in a dogfight, but how they've looked has convinced me that they are a playoff team. The start of the season, I was like, "Oh, this team might be better than I thought." They had those losses to Columbus and then the terrible Calgary game, and then couldn't beat New York. And I was like, "Okay, you know, this maybe I was right." And then they had the rest of that road trip, and this week they go toe to toe with Tampa. They win these other two games, and I'm like, "No, this team is legit." Especially yeah, because I, of Rantanen, and I, we knew the MGM line was going to be good, but anyone who told you Rantanen was going to be this good was lying to you. So, <laughs> yeah, and especially I think this week was more impressive than than the road trip, just because. And even though they did lose the two games, but I th- I think they played well in all four games, even in the losses. They didn't have a letdown. The way they came back in the Ottawa game. Uh, and that was when they just had to win. Like, you just want to see them win the games where it's just like, you just have to do it. Yeah, and, and um, it's, you know, I know the depth scoring isn't ideal either, <clears throat> but Matt Nieto scored a goal against Philly to put him up 2-1. Carl Soderberg scored the tying goal against Ottawa. It's it It doesn't seem quite as consistent as we want, but it's not non-existent like it was last year at times and barbario i think getting that goal which also is technically a fourth line goal is also is is big that they got a goal like that so yeah i I think their issues still are it's going to be sorting out this the secondary i think for me it's just more sorting the lines than necessarily the raw production of that whole group but obviously they're going to need some and and I do um, think they'll come back down to earth. I think maybe like third in the West or a the first wild card spot is a more realistic prediction. But that's a that's way above bubbling out of the playoffs. 
it helps and, a lot. And the lot. power play needs help as yeah. we talk De- a lot. Definitely. It, it, it helps a lot specifically for that uh, playoff conversation that St. Louis has been... And Dallas yeah, St- has been mediocre, has been pretty not great. St. Louis would have to go on a seven-game winning streak just to get back into the conversation. So St. Louis are in trouble. Yeah. Um, for me, I you know I I think they're probably a they're about how I thought they were going to be, but not in the way I thought they were going to be. Like obviously the the top line is is out of sight. Um, the defense is far better than I imagined, and I, I you know it, it's something that you can't really see or or, or put your finger on. Uh, it just works. And there, there are a lot of different aspects to it, why it works. Um, but it's just, it's a lot more solid than I thought. I, I think most people thought it was going to be at the beginning of and the year. And that's even with Barry not having a great start and not getting right. as much as we hoped out as Adora. But I agree, it, it feels solid. Like you're just not waiting for it to break all the time. Wait, waiting right. for it to just yeah, it, it, I, <laughs> collapse and do the chiparama. It as much as we panned the off-season moves, which Calvert deservedly so at this point. Ian Cole I have my gripes with, but he gets the job done. Yeah, Cole is great. I mean, you know, obviously, like, he and Barry have struggled, and, and you look at their statistics, and, you're, you know, it's not that great, but uh, when you watch what he does on the ice, and especially what he gets away with, I know, Jackie, you love this, is that, you know, <laughs> he does a lot of really dirty shit and gets away with it, and that's something that, you know, yeah. Like Zadorov can't get away with that stuff yet. <laughs> Zadorov can't get away and, with existing, he, man. <laughs> right. So it, it's nice to have a guy that's just, you know, that, that Peter McNabb, tough to play against kind of thing. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I think that's sort of an aspect they really needed. And I think it sort of, you know, might have been a missing piece that, that we weren't really aware of. So I, I think the defense has really impressed me a lot. I still have some serious difficulties with the bottom nine. That's a lot worse than I thought it was. And I think that could become an issue down the road. So I'm still very concerned about that and sort of, you know, how the staff are going to deal with, you know, you know, are, are they going to go with the, the Calvert Nieto Soderberg line for, you know, the rest of the season or, they going to switch some things up there. What are they going to do with the other two lines? You know, what are they going to do with the personnel there? Are they going to get some scoring out of that, or you know, are they going to try to make them more grindy if they can't get some scoring? I mean, that that's sort of still a big question that I was really hoping would be answered in preseason or you know maybe the first couple of weeks of the season. That's that's still up in the air. So, you know, I, I'm still optimistic. It's still about what I thought it was going to be, but. Um, definitely not in the way I thought. So before I answer my own question and flip my hair a little bit, um, one word answer playoff, yes, no, or bubble. Oh, it's not fair to offer bubble. I'm offering bubble. Yes, no, or bubble. Bubble being like you're the eighth team. And that's really a coin flip. I'm taking bubble then. Yes. (laughs) Earl? Yes. I called 103 points in our BR staff preseason predictions, and they're exactly on a 103-point pace. So it's a little bit tough to kind of judge this right now because of 
like Earl said, the 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 middle six have been so kind of like not quite what we were looking for. But it's tough to judge that because the key guys to the middle six have not been healthy at one time yet. It's either been Comfer out, Andragetto out, or now Jost out. It's tough to get that going without having them all there. So it's, yeah. it's already so tenuous. You needed to see some steps in the right direction anyway. It's like you're almost expecting as soon as JT and Tyson come back, well, next next will be Alex Kerfoot. Like, just because they can't have, you can't have nice things for some reason. Um, this is pretty much what I expected the Colorado Avalanche to do this year, honestly. Uh, I expected them to have times where the top line is just absolutely dominant, and I expected them to have times where the goaltending is dominant. Um, there's also going to be, I think moving forward, we're going to see a few more games like Minnesota, like Tampa, where the team play really well, but don't quite get the result. But what's been really encouraging for me is that there has been maybe one game all year, and that was Columbus, that they've been, I would think, completely out of. Um, there have been times when they've been down multiple goals, and you're still just waiting for them, okay, where's the comeback coming? And like, you, and then it does. It just Columbus was the only game where it really felt like they weren't up to the task, and that is super encouraging. And with with St. Louis and Dallas doing what they're doing, Minnesota looking how they're looking, and they have some points, but they've they've had a pretty light schedule to start with. Um, I I really like Colorado's chances to sneak into that third spot in the in the central. So shall we? I think we, they'll be uh, second. You think you think they'll pop up over both Winnipeg and Nashville? Uh, no, I think it'll be Nashville and then the Avs. I, I think that's a little bold, but <laughs> I think Winnipeg I think good, that's man. what I called. In, I yeah. called that in preseason. I'm sticking with it. Winnipeg's good, but they're in a little bit of a struggle bus right now. And as soon as they get it figured out, I think they'll be fine. The the good news is the Pacific always finds a way to unimpress, man. Oh God, the Pacific is a <laughs> Boy, giant. They're great at that this year. God, they stink. So should we uh, <laughs> should we go ahead and look at the the next week? I'm All two gonna, games? I'm actually going to talk a little bit broader than just next week, because November is kind of a mess for the Avs schedule. They play every Wednesday, and no game starts earlier than 7.30 Mountain. So, East Coasters, sorry, uh, they have three back to Rip Thursday morning. They have three <laughs> back-to-backs with travel. They have a four-day break starting on the 3rd. Yes, they're on a four-day break right now. You see what I'm getting at here. This week, the Avs take a nap. They're, they travel to Calgary on Thursday for a 7 o'clock mountain start against the Flames. And then Friday, they're back-to-back in Vancouver for an 8 o'clock mountain start against the Canucks. It looks like that one's on NHL Network in the U.S., so we'll see what kind of havoc is wrought on the NHL.tv blackouts. That's it. That's their week. They start another four-day break and are off until next Wednesday when they play their Rust game against, oh, just the Nashville Predators. Zero, one, two, three, or four points this week. You don't have a lot of choices. Four. I'm going to Western Canada is usually not their greatest venue. They got some serious yeah. unfinished business with Calgary. Yeah, I agree. You can't lose to Vancouver. I'm in with four here too. Yeah. I'm gonna go with two. I want to go with four because the unfinished business angle. But that four day off rust game is just so hard to win. I think that even with the back to back, I think they beat Vancouver. But that rust game is just rough. So I'm gonna go with two also. And that's a nice, nuanced look at the next week. There's a whole lot of different things to get into. <laughs> so it's going to be... Uh, we'll, we'll be a little bit lighter on the show length the next couple of weeks unless something bizarre happens. So um, 
there, there's that. There's always that long. About. <laughs> there's only two games to break down two weeks in a row, and then we're gonna have a couple of Sunday evening matchups in the the month of November. So we'll have to, we'll adjust schedules around those as things kind of develop. But at least for next week, you know, we'll be in the same spot. Um, does anybody have any last words before I run us out of here? I'm thinking we'll probably try to sneak an AHL pod in, probably in the second four-day off. So that'll be something for hockey content anyway, On the over on the 2A side, of course. Nice. Cool. And yeah, we're going to need a, something to do during all these days off. Well, for, for a lot of our Discord, it seems to be playing Red Dead Redemption 2. Everybody's all about the cowboy game for some reason. But uh, when when there actually is hockey to talk about again, you know that we will be able to do that right here. You can catch the show on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash burgundyradio or on mixcloud at mixcloud.com slash burgundyradio. I post links to both of those outlets on burgundyrainbow.com every week. You can follow us on iTunes and wherever else you might get your podcasts. It's just a nice little RSS catch, very easy to do. Um, two road games next week in Western Canada, which are not usually great for Colorado, and with the long break and the back-to-back and the travel, we'll, we'll kind of cringe into next week and see what happens. Keep your head up, get to dirty areas, and we'll see you on the other side. Is it kind of towards the end of the first, or did it happen in the second? I don't know. Is I the bass? I the watched bass up fight. to the goal for Dries for Dries. And that yeah, that's, so. that's all. That's as far as I got. I was how, like, fa- uh, how far in was that? Too nice outside. <laughs> like eight minutes. <laughs> I watched. I watched like half. I watched until they gave up the fifth one, and then I was like. Okay. It's too nice outside. See, that's that was how I felt in the forty-eight point season. I was like, there's other things. I don't have to spend my life doing this. What? Who did the leaves are changing? It's sixty degrees. Why am I watching this? Well, I was gonna be watching hockey either way. It was just a matter of how long I was, I was gonna wait to watch the Avs. <laughs>